Hello and welcome to the Insights in Focus podcast. I'm Philippa Lamb. This time, we're looking at the UK's current economic turbulence through the lens of one of its most important sectors, commercial property. With capital values down 20% since the pandemic and 15% in the last year alone, what does this tell us about the attractiveness of bricks and mortar to investors and occupiers? And what can this bellwether sector tell us about what lies ahead for the wider economy? Joining me to discuss these questions, I have Suren Thiru, Director, Economies at ICAW, and Matt Oakley, Head of European Commercial Research at the real estate services company Savills. Welcome both. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. Hello. Thanks for having me. Matt, shall we set the scene with a bit of an overview of commercial property in the UK? Are capital values down across the board? Yeah, I think pretty much every single sector is down. The thing about sort of cycles in commercial property, they are generally relatively synchronous. So whatever causes it, every sector tends to go down at roughly the same time, at roughly the same pace. The real question that we're always looking to, although I guess we'll come on later to, is they're relatively asynchronous when they start to recover. So some sectors take longer to recover, some bounce back. But uh, this time around, I guess, you know, the cause was very much Surin's area of expertise. It was about the rising interest rates, inflation, the cost of money. There was nothing fundamentally wrong in investors' minds about real estate. It's just we had to review pricing in the new interest rate environment. It's interesting you say that because obviously we've heard a lot about changing occupier needs, haven't we? Hybrid working, all that sort of thing. Has that not actually really made a big dent in the market? I think it's made a big dent in sentiment. There certainly is a view that offices might be facing the moment that shopping centres faced when internet shopping started to grow. But actually, it's not showing up in the data. You know, there are more companies looking at taking more office space in London at the moment, for example, than are looking at taking less. Certainly, some are downsizing, but I think some companies are always downsizing. It may be that we're just too early to tell, you know, maybe... CEOs are still kind of hoping that their staff will all come back to the work voluntarily and nothing has changed. But at the moment, the data suggests that there hasn't been the big demand shock that some people think there might have been. Yes, because we're starting to see mixed data on productivity around homeworking now, aren't we? Having generally been felt to be a good thing last year, we're now seeing data saying maybe not. Yeah, and I think the problem with all, you know, like, you know, I'm a nerd, I look at data. Um, the problem with with all of these things is you need a while for the academic research to start to come through. And I'm afraid to say the way the world is nowadays that every bit of data tends to be presented with a hidden agenda. So you will have some people who will give you a piece of data that goes, everyone's much more productive at home and happier. And someone else will go, no, they're not. Here's a bit of data that proves that. It is starting to feel, as you say, that maybe people are slightly less productive at home than in the office if they're at home full time. But I think That isn't what we're talking about. We're talking about people having a more flexible life. And I think that is good for wellness. That is good for health and happiness. And I think, you know, every survey that's ever been done says that happy people tend to be more productive. So I think trying to paint this as a massive shock is the wrong way to look at it. You know, it is an evolution of how we work, where we work, how we want to work, how the family is nowadays, different types of families. And I think we've just got to accept it. But... Generally, I think, you know, the property industry does tend to either have two sort of things in mind. It's either fear um, or greed, and we're probably caught between the two at the moment. I mean, more positively, thinking about different sectors in commercial property, is retail, local retail, feeling the win 
from people homeworking. Mm, it's a very good point, and I think it's definitely starting to. Not everywhere. But certainly, I think in the hinterlands of London, we're seeing you know those kind of people who used to go into the city of London. Probably a lot of your listeners um, five days a week and dutifully spend their five or six pounds a day on on lunch. Some of that money is now being spent in in the suburb or commuter town where they live, and we're definitely seeing you know more multiple retailers looking at these locations than actually we've ever seen before. So. The death of the high street that was a big theme on yeah, the back of internet shopping. For a shopping. long time, yeah. Funnily enough, for some locations, not all, agile working might well bail them out. And thinking about online, I mean, distribution, logistics, presumably the, the real estate associated with those sectors, that must be a good long-term prospect, surely. Yes, but interestingly enough, it's the segment of UK commercial property where values have fallen furthest. Why do you think that is? Well, it was the most expensive, okay. really. You know, so we got to, to a, It was so sought after globally as an asset class. You know, beds, meds and sheds was the big cliche <laughs> okay. in, in commercial property investing. Sorry, so beds, meds and sheds. Beds, meds, so labs and things like that, sheds being warehouses. Okay. So, you know, hotels, student housing, senior housing. That's what everyone wanted to buy for the crisis. Prices got bid up and up and up. Yields got bid down. And then when we saw this external economic shock, everything corrected and, and the most expensive stuff tended to correct most. So you're completely right. You know, I don't imagine that any of your listeners is sitting going to sit out there and think people are going to be shopping on the internet less in a decade than they are today. Therefore, the demand for warehouses, which basically holds stuff that is, you know, we're buying, can't really be any worse. And then you add in things like Brexit and global supply chains on the back of COVID and Ukraine. All of these things are creating more demand for logistics. So you've kind of sort of slightly stolen my top pick. But, you know, I think um, <laughs> if the prices on really good warehouses are off 30% and actually there is a better demand story perhaps going forward than there was. It feels like a huge buy at the moment. What about other trends? What about eco? I mean, in terms of driving investor interest, green schemes? It's very, very heavily sought after by a certain type of investor. So I think if you are an institutional investor, an insurance company, a pension fund, a sovereign wealth fund, a serious professional global player, it is arguably the number one factor nowadays you know they will not buy an asset that is either not green or doesn't have a story about making it green okay and so i think you know tenants as in the people who lease office buildings and shops slightly behind the curve there some are concerned about it some aren't but in the uk obviously we have you know, this target of, of EPCB by 2030 by all commercial buildings. So the major institutional landlords and developers are, are on top of this. And I think something your listeners might have heard about stranded assets, big topic in the US real estate market, less of a concern in much of the UK. Because, stranded assets? As in buildings that suddenly become unlettable. Because essentially we all know we're aiming for this date. If you don't hit it... Okay. That's a problem. But you've had 10 years to get there. So the big players are all on top of this. It's going to be a problem in, in towns where the rents aren't high enough to justify the capex. But as far as, you know, the, the sort of, let's call it the professional investor universe, not a big worry. So if you were to crystal ball gaze over the next, yeah, yeah I'd see you smiling, but I'm going to ask you, next, what, three to five years? Where would you see trends going? <laughs> well, I think... This is where we get into areas that I, you know, 
Surin is more expert than me to comment upon. The next 12 months in terms of pricing and activity in my market is all about when does the sort of hive mind of finance and banking and real estate believe that interest rates have peaked. At the moment, we're in a real hiatus at the moment. Nobody wants to make a decision, whether it's a business or an investor. When we get to that point, I think then we will see money coming back in. But it will only come back into some parts of the market. It'll come back where there is a strong occupational story. So you've touched on logistics. I think, you know, nice green urban offices in in sort of Mayfair and places like that. You know, the classic private investor buy who maybe doesn't borrow. That'll come back quite strongly. I think, you know, later in the cycle, we will see, you know, big three, four, five hundred million pound office buildings, they will probably be the last segment to recover because that's a lot of money and there are still a lot of questions about the need for office space. I mean, sir, I've been talking about commercial property as long seen as a bellwether for the wider economy, but explain to us why that is. As I mentioned, the commercial property overall is cyclical and that's in line with the wider economy. So if you did a chart of the, the sector's performance over time, it would closely align to what happened with overall GDP growth. And there's a number of reasons for that. You see the amount of income activity linked to commercial property sector. You look at things like employment, you look at things like confidence, both business and consumer confidence, access to funding. All those things are strong when the economy is doing well and weak when the economy is doing badly. And that's all linked to the sector as well. And it's also important to think about the sector's sort of importance to the wider economy as well. Um, so there are direct and indirect impacts of the sector. So you've got the direct stuff from construction or property to the business or businesses that operate in that property or the economic activity or the employment that's generated from that. The, the tax to exchequer, you know, you've got income tax, you've got VAT, you've got business rates. It's a huge earner for the, for the government, commercial property and all the associated services around that. So it's a huge driver of the economy. And so when you're looking overall trends, you can almost see as well as a driver of the economy, it's also in some ways a leading indicator of when things are turning as well. And we see that in some of our own data. So ICW run its own business confidence monitor, quarterly survey of the UK economy. And what we see at a sector level is that while a lot of sectors are still relatively positive, what we're seeing in terms of sentiment is the weakest sentiment is in property and construction. And that's largely due to, we'll come to about interest rates, as Matt mentioned, other factors as well. But in many ways, you'll see some of these headwinds impact those sectors first. And we're expecting over time is that to maybe spread more widely. But that's why those sectors are really important to watch out for as we go over time. So how closely does the wider economy track in terms of time frame? It's, it's pretty close. So we are seeing some other sectors start to turn. So manufacturing is one that's starting to turn. And again, we see, I think what we're seeing at the moment is those sectors are most exposed to interest rate rises. Um, impacted first, but you start to see that filter through. As I said, you know, as you see, maybe weak employment, weaker commerce more generally. I think that's when you'll see that impact the wider economy. So, for example, this year, expect the second half of this year to be a bit more tougher than the first part of this year, whether that means a recession or not. Um, that's, that's anyone's guess, really. What's your sense on time frame, man? I, you know, it's interesting to hear about commercial property talked about as a bellwether, because I normally think it is something that follows the macro economy. You know, if the economy is growing, we need more shops, offices and factories. And if it's contracting, we don't. So, but I do think one area where, you know, we can create the problems. And I think because generally, if you're developing or even making a leasing decision, you're looking quite a long way ahead. You know, it can be three, four, five, six, seven years in advance. You can miss the economic cycle. You can deliver too much vacant space. And if you look at past, shall we say, sort of banking shocks, 
property's been really closely involved with that. So I think while we might not lead, we not might not be a leading indicator of the normal cycle, we can be part of the problem. Yes. Certainly you see in a lot of central banks around the world in the last nine, 12 months have all started to look at commercial property a lot more closely as a potential risk That's to the health of the economy. Because I was going to ask you about banking, because obviously clearly in the past, past recessions, banks have been heavily exposed, mm. overexposed to commercial property. So where where is that now? Where are Where's their exposure? Well, thankfully, we've learned from our mistakes and the regulators, you know, post the global financial crisis and the lenders themselves all change their policies. So typically, I guess, coming up to the global financial crisis, for an investment property in the commercial market, you could have borrowed 95% loan to value, possibly 100. In some cases, 100 plus. Really, since the credit crunch or the, or the GFC, 65% has been about the norm. So what that means is the lenders can accommodate a 40%-ish fall in capital values without having to take control of the asset. So I think... We are in a much better position. I think, you know, we obviously saw you know, a number of bank failures in the first six months of this year. They weren't directly connected with real estate, but everyone took a long, hard look to see how much of their lending behaviour had been to the real estate sector. So I do think, you know, we're going to see some real estate failures. Uh, we're going to see some stresses in the market. I think the chances of contagion through to the wider banking sector are a lot lower than they ever have been. Yeah, because I think that's why it's seen as a bellwether, isn't yeah. it? That it's it's that direct link between the banks and real estate in the past. I mean, is, is your feeling too, Sarah, that it's that's in a better place now than it was in 2008? Yes, certainly. And I, I think, and, and going back to the access to funding point, I think one of the stuff we're seeing in our own data is that access to funding for construction sector and property is, is the big issue that they're reporting at the moment. And I think you're right. I think certainly when you look at some of the analysis that's done by the Bank of England and others, uh, the sort of projected level of impairment is much lower than, for example, in 2008. So I think that's certainly a welcome sign. Also, the, I guess the range of funding as well, you know, who's funding the, the commercial property sector is a lot different now than it was back in 2008 as well, which I think is, it? is a different In thing. what way? Well, a lot of it, a large portion of UK banks, where now it's more sort of international investors, international banks as well. So it's much more of a broader base. But having said that, there's no doubt there's going to be really tough times ahead, not least what's happened with interest rates over time, because a lot of, a lot of uh, organisations will be having, facing quite tough refinancing in the next year, two years. We hear a lot about the mortgage market, yes. the impact of people come off fixed and mortgages. That's obviously similarly true for commercial property sector as well. And that's a lot of where, you know, central banks are really looking quite close to that, not just in the UK, elsewhere as well. So that, I think, takes us to the to the place of inflation and base rate, doesn't it? I mean, we had better news on inflation last week, Yeah, it week, depends on what you we? mean by it. Well, in the context of the year we've had. <laughs> it's good news in the sense that it's, it was quite a relatively speaking, at quite a chunky fall compared to what we've seen. But we're still at 7.9%, which is almost four times Bank of England's yeah. 2% target. We're an outlier compared to other comparable economies, for example, the US comparable inflation measures at 3%. Yes. So we're an outlier there. But the welcome sign is moving in the right direction. We should see bigger falls in the coming months. For example, next month's figures, which will be for July, will have the impact of people's energy bills falling in, in that month. So that, that should maybe bring inflation back below 7% potentially and next month. Um, so that's that's a good sign. The key challenge for the, for the UK, can may, maybe compared to other countries, is it's not so much how you get it back down significantly from where it is now. It's how do you get back down to the 2% target? 
because the UK has some issues, not least a, sh- a shrunken labour market, which is pushing up wages, which may mean the Bank of England does struggle to get the inflation target back down to the 2% target. It's interesting you say that because we talked about, when we were discussing this podcast, we talked about spending, the level of spending that we're seeing, consumer spending, and discussed how surprising it was in many ways that it's still so high, despite the level of anxiety around what's going to happen in the next six months to a year. Why do we think that is? Is it people spending their pandemic savings? Because obviously this plays into pushing it or keeping inflation where it is or pushing it higher, doesn't it? What What is going on there? Why isn't there more caution? I mean, I think you are seeing, I mean, this, all this maybe sort of lags and impacts of different things and impacting the actual data itself. But I think you are, and in aggregate terms, you are seeing the impact of people spending some of their COVID savings. If you remember during sort of the lockdowns a couple of years ago, people couldn't get on holiday um, and all that sort of thing. So a lot of people were saving. But all of that was concentrated in higher income households. So in aggregate terms, it was quite interesting that the COVID recession, that the UK became more wealthy. as was pretty much the recession that there's been. So it was concentrated there. So you are seeing some of that being spent, albeit lower income households are, still, are probably struggling more because they're again more exposed to COVID and, and, and struggling now, not least the impact of inflation, particularly food inflation and energy inflation as well. So you're seeing some of that as well. You're seeing sort of debt levels go up as well. So there's still a lot of spending going on. You Again, is wondering how that's going to be sustained over time for the UK consumer in particular. Because what we've seen over the past couple of years is that UK consumers were more resilient. And by that stretching out to wider economy, the economy is more resilient than many people had expected. And many people expected them, the consumer spending to weaken by now. And another factor that's driving that as well has been a strength of the labour market. Now, yes, a, a lot, tight labour market yeah. gives people confidence. Exactly, yes. Yeah. So, you know, you, you obviously a tight labour market is hazard issues, you know, with inflation, with wages, but you're also less likely to lose your job as well. So if people still in their job, then they're, they're more likely to spend. And I think what we're seeing in the UK in particular, but also in other, other developed countries, is that the labour market's almost dissipated from the wider economy because even in, even due to sort of tougher times, I think a lot of businesses will, be, will will be reticent to get rid of people because they know how hard it is to get them back next time. And we saw that during the pandemic, some of the sectors like the airline sector. Indeed. You got rid of a lot of people, they couldn't get them back afterwards. So I think there's almost that's become a, there's always been a lagging in the case of the economy. I mean, that's going to be a really long lag, potentially. And that tight labour market, I think, is, is playing into expectations about higher wages, isn't it? Because the expectation across the board, I think the latest data that I've seen, is that people do expect to see their salaries rise. Yes, and, and you look at the official data, overall wages around, wage growth is around 7%. I'm not sure who's getting those, but it, 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 is, it, it looks, looks pretty, pretty hot at the moment. And the question is with wages and inflation is, is whether Australian what? Whether prices are driving wages or the other way around. I mean, I get a sense that maybe wages were quite low for a long time, even though inflation was rising. So whether there's a bit of catch up there. Rather than that being sort of a you know a vicious sort of spanking. That's certainly the narrative, isn't talk it? About. Yeah. So that's I think that's interesting. And you are seeing some of these sort of near sort of the short term data that there is some slowing there. And going back to your own sort of business confidence monitor, firms' expectations of salary growth over next year has started to come down now as well. So I think that there is a general expectation that wage growth will start to ease back a little bit. But when you look about look look at the sort of wider sort of economy and how it benefits, how people are going to feel it. That's the real thing when inflation and wages, when are people going to feel a bit better than they are at the moment? And the, ten, the indicator tends to be whether when inflation and wages swap places, so wages are like growing at a faster rate than inflation. Um, and that may not be until maybe back in this year into next year. So where do you both see inflation by the end of the year? Obviously, the Prime Minister was as a, well, a hope. I don't know if it's an expectation that he'll halve it by the end of the year. What, what, what are you thinking? I think it. I think it could end the year in the fives, 
You think so? Um, yeah. But I think the problem is, you know, are people just expecting higher inflation to be the norm now? So do they go back to their end of year wage review and ask for 10 again? And that, that feels like the problem. But it could be it could be in the fives. I'm hoping anyway. What do you think, sir? Well, I guess the first thing to say, I mean, it's quite a strange thing to have as one of his targets because it's, mm. it's something that's, I mean, he probably expected it'd be really easy to happen at the start of the year. <laughs> yeah. and also not, the gov- not thinking that now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's probably sweating on that a little bit. And, and also, government don't really have much control over it. I mean, arguably, yeah. Bank of England don't either have it either with, Indeed. with, with interest rates. Um, there's a lot to be said for that. I do expect it to fall maybe just below 5%. I think it's 5.3% the, the national target. It may fall just below that, maybe below 5%. But that's largely, again, a couple of mechanical reasons, you know, where it's calculated this year versus last year. And obviously okay. last year we saw big increases due to energy bill rises. And that's obviously not going to happen this year and not to the same extent. So inflation is naturally going to fall back anyway on the back of that. So, I mean, that's one of the reasons they chose it because they knew all these things are happening as well. So it seemed achievable um, yeah, at the time. At the time, yeah. But then what you've seen is some of these other sort of other pressures, like wage pressures. There wasn't that type of wage pressure this time last year, for example. That's impacting the, the headline number, and also things like food inflation as well. Uh, that was a lot lower last year than it, than we're seeing at the moment, albeit it has come down a little bit. I mean, as we all know, the Bank of England only has the one tool really. Base rates at five percent now. There seems to be some sort of expectation of perhaps just one more rise. What do you think about that? I would say I think the Bank of England got themselves a bit of a mess with their monetary policy. They were, they were really late to start raising interest rates, first of all. So inflation was Unlike around, the States. Yeah, inflation was around 5.6%, which is almost three times target, in December 2021 when they actually started raising interest rates. So you could argue a bit late there, albeit they can't, uh, they can't predict things like uh, Russia's invasion in Ukraine and the impact that had on inflation. But also, setting interest rates, you have to be forward-looking when you set interest rates because there has there's a quite a significant lag. Yeah. Depending on you know how you measure it, there's quite a significant lag. But one of the things they did say is that their their interest rate decisions, they said this a couple of months ago, is going to be data dependent, and that's why you saw markets, financial markets, sort of pricing in you know huge peaking interest rates depending on what the data was doing each month. Okay. So you saw the last couple of months when the data came in hotter than expected. There's a big spike in market expectations around interest rates. What you saw as you mentioned, when inflation was lower than expected last week, is that we saw expectations come down. So expectations around 6% at the moment for interest rate rises. Right. So the bank got themselves in a bit of a mess there because actually they should be setting interest rates depending on what's going to happen to inflation over you know next next year or year and a half time, not what's happening now. So given given the approach they've adopted, what do you expect them to do? So I expect them to raise them again next month, but by around 25 basis points you as think? opposed to the 50 basis yep. points they, they, they so raised. So a quarter um, rather than half. Yeah. Yeah. I do expect at least one more after that, so five and a half. But again, if numbers do tend to come in hotter than expected, we get a bit more resilience in inflation coming to September, October that time, we may see further increases. And I think what you'll see from some of the rhetoric, which is always quite good to track, is probably going to stay pretty hawkish. That means you know, they're, they're, they're sort of trying to manage people's expectations with their words as opposed to raising rates themselves as well. So I think you see a lot of them doing that. What's also interesting as well is what's happening nationally as well. So you're seeing the US and, and Eurozone, ECB, they're actually a lot further ahead than us because their inflation rates are a lot lower than us. So you could actually see them start to pause their rate rising soon potentially as early as this month. So that's quite an interesting thing to watch because, again, they're, they're a lot further ahead because their inflation rates are a lot lower than in the UK. And then, so the UK is a difficult position because they're seeing all the indicators of inflation pointing downwards, but their inflation rate is still really high. Matt, what's your thinking? 
I've been more consistently wrong on predicting the UK interest rate than anything <laughs> ever. Um, Give it a go. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, on my views. The economists, I think, are saying, you know, they will go up a little bit more and then come down. The financial markets are suggesting they'll go up quite a lot more and then come down somewhat later. I suspect the truth is somewhere between the two. We don't see rates coming down next year at all in our sort of house view. And I still think there is some risk on the upside. Uh, but, you know, for commercial property investors, what I hear is we don't need rates to start falling for confidence to return. What we need is confidence that the next move is not upwards. It's just certainty. And I think we're hearing that from businesses as well. You know, how can I decide if I need 10 more shops or a bigger office if I don't even know what's going to happen to my cost of borrowing over the next six months. And so I think we just need certainty. And it's the classic business call, isn't it, really, of any governmental organisation. Please just give us certainty so we can plan and get on with what we're doing. At the moment, we really have no clue. So it's CFO anxiety. Yeah. And you, what you've seen that quite a lot through is investment tensions across the board. Investment tensions are really weak. Unless you're investing in AI or something like that, mm. then that's going, that's going pretty gangbusters. But elsewhere, investment's really weak. And you see that in the confidence levels as well. And I think, as you say, some of that uncertainty is really sort of biting, as well as the actual cost pressures that we're seeing as well for businesses. Thinking of other lead indicators, venture capital. Presumably that's a lead indicator for real estate, is it? It can be. It can be. I you know, Certainly... When we see a sort of a surge in capital raising sometime later, there's a surge in sort of companies growing. You know, it's it's several years in many cases. So, you know, anything we're seeing the, I would say, the sort of biotech medicine surge coming out of COVID now feeding through into massive demand for lab space in the UK, which can't really be satisfied. The next phase might well be AI, but again, it, it doesn't come through that quickly um, as a lead indicator. So, Sarah, just to wrap this up, what should accountants be saying to their clients <laughs> looking down the barrel of I the mean, rest I, I of the, the year? Moment, it's, it's a lot of it is, I mean, scenario paneling some, some of it because the environment is so uncertain at the moment. You know, interest rates are the big one. Inflation, again, as Matt mentioned, I think there's a lot of, sort of risks around the outlook, no matter how where you where you're positioned on interest rates and inflation in the wider economy. So a lot of planning I think is important, sort of maintaining things like cash flow or these sort of you know nuts and bolts with business. And I think emphasizing a lot of those things are gonna be really important as well. Your funding stream as well. You mentioned the sort of banking issues. Again, a lot of that's sort of gone away but maybe bubble a little bit underneath the surface. So we've got to be aware of your sort of funding funding solutions, you know, those sort of things as well. And again, planning as much as possible. And you Matt next year better than this year? Yeah, I think um, I think we will see those people who don't have to borrow calling the bottom of the commercial property cycle fairly soon. It's not going to affect all areas. It's not going to affect all asset classes. But, you know, we're going to start to see money coming back at the end of the year. I think that the recovery in the big ticket mainstream sectors will be will be in line with the sort of the peaking of interest rates next year. But undeniably more positive in volume terms and the best way of making money in commercial property investment, like many other cyclical asset classes, is buy at the bottom and sell at the top. So <laughs> Easily said. A lot of people are looking <laughs> at the buying opportunity now. Are they? OK. Well, that is encouraging, isn't it? Thanks both. Really fascinating. So, Soren, Matt, thanks very much for being with us. The sector is clearly shifting under a range of pressures. We'll keep an eye on it as things develop. 
Looking ahead, the next Insights podcast, sharing news and updates from across accountancy and ICAW, that will be with you in early August. The Insights in Focus series, that will return later that month. Join us for those. Thanks for being with us for this one. And if you haven't already subscribed to the series on your podcast app, please do. You'll never miss an episode. <music>